Right, so there's this film called Ronin. It's a, it's a couple of decades old now. Um, but it is all about uh, these guns for hire that come together uh, for a job. Ronin is kind of uh, these uh, leaderless samurai and uh, it's kind of uh, retold through the lens of these gangsters. And they come together and they're to steal a suitcase. And it's one of those films you never know what's in the suitcase. And I really like that, that sort of uh, mystery and projection of all these uh, uh, nefarious contents. And uh, these, ga- these strangers gather and they start to bond and they start to learn to trust each other or not trust each other, which is a sort of part of the story. And there's this great scene right near the beginning of the film where uh, they've been planning all night and then they uh, sort of go to bed in this warehouse and then they wake up and they're sort of uh, uh, waking this um, sort of... Uh, taken out the sleep from their eyes and they're just sort of acclimatising themselves again uh, uh, to their surroundings. And so uh, Jean Reno and Robert De Niro, their bunks are next to each other and um, Jean Reno, he offers De Niro a a, a cigarette and uh, De Niro, who um, is still getting his bearings and doesn't know whether uh, Reno is someone sort of in charge, someone with responsibility, someone who's uh, leading the business, or whether he's just a sort of uh, fellow uh, uh, helper, whether he's just um, someone else that's uh, there to sort of help lift the heavy loads. And uh, there's this great reply um, uh, of Reno to De Niro when he asks, so are you in in charge or are are you just with me, you know, uh, so, someone else at the ground level and he goes uh, if I was in management I would have never given you a cigarette I don't know if you've ever noticed this but there is often a correlation between a person's importance and your ability to get to know them throughout my working life I've discovered those at the bottom of the perceived pecking order have the time and inclination to talk to you and become friends with you. Um, I've lost count of the amount of kind of bin men and cleaners and watchmen and security guards who I've become friends with just because they will pass the time of day with you, where they will talk to you. They've got no pretensions, no allusions to their importance. They just want connections and friendships. Meanwhile, as you go up that perceived pecking order, people become more distant, more remote, less friendly, less approachable. They become distant figureheads and they become preoccupied with power. They become too important, too busy to talk to you. And so you have this distinction between the people at the bottom who are friendly and approachable and talkative to those further up the chain, that unless you can give them something, um, they often don't have much time for you. But the problem is, the labour, the people at the bottom of this pecking order, they often don't have any power. They're often not in any position to help you. If you want help and assistance, if you want movement, if you want something done, then it's often not the cleaners and the bin men and the security guards that you can talk to. You need to go up that chain of command who uh, 
are less aware of your presence. And you have this issue where the friendliest people are kind of at the bottom but have no power, but the ones with power are the ones at arm's length, who are a bit remote, are uh, not the people um, that uh, you go and have a coffee with. Today's psalm seems to intuitively understand this frustration of human relationships, this understanding that uh, power is often distant and uh, powerless friendship is often near. And we find through the lens of God in the presence of the Almighty that these issues dissolve into nothing. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 147. It says this. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Everyone say pleasant. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and he calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has No limit. The Lord sustains the humble. Everyone say humble. Humble. But he casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise and make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds and he supplies the earth with rain and he makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is his delight in the legs of the warrior. These are sort of mechanisms of war and fighting and brutality. What does the Lord delight in? Well, the psalmist tells us that the Lord delights in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants Peace to your borders. Everyone say peace. What a lovely uh, stretch of words. Pleasant. And then we've got peace. And he satisfies you with the finest wheat. Sam and I were in Horsham the other day and we got some artisanal bread that had been like hand-cooked by farmers from a tiny little bakery somewhere, and it was beautiful, much better than the mass-produced stuff that we uh, normally eat, and satisfies you with the best bread. The little corner shop in Horsham that everything costs ten times what it does in Lidl. That's what God offers. He sends his commands to the earth, and his words run swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool, and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down the hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his words and he melts them. He stirs up breezes and waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation, 
and they do not know his laws. We can sometimes think the Ten Commandments are quite oppressive and hard work, but actually they're a means of life, and Psalm 119 was all about how important and how helpful God's laws are because they are wisdom to what true life is. And right now, as you listen to me, this is what uh, Barry and Rachel are teaching the children, the importance of God's laws, of how his wisdom is light and guidance uh, to our lives. And uh, I'm really pleased that it kind of uh, dovetails into what I'm saying. Now, this song naturally falls into three segments, but the very first part, your translation may not um, sort of ring it true for you. The first phrase uh, in your Psalms, what does it say in the translations that you've got? What's the very first words for anyone that's got Psalms open? Praise the Lord. Is that everyone? Has anyone got anything different? No. So, praise the Lord. What we have there is um, a word. When I start droning on about Hebrew, some of your eyes may glaze over, but most of us will know this word. It's that word, hallelujah. So, when it says praise the Lord, here it is this word, hallelujah. And it's a word, I don't know whether you noticed, but it's become a word synonymous with happiness. And, and people who are absolutely not religious at all are quite happy to bandy it around when anything nice happens. I hear it when uh, levels of games are completed, when uh, something nice happens to someone, or when uh, a, a triumph is done. There is that hallelujah, that, that this is something good to celebrate. And it's used so endlessly and trivially that we often forget its origins and we strip it of its gravity. And I just wanted to revisit it again. The word hallelujah, um, even in this English transliteration, uh, we can see kind of its components. The hallelujah, which is uh, uh, the... The, the first section means praise you. Everyone say, praise you. praise you. So we have this praise you. And the question is who? Who are we praising? Who is the object and subject of this praise? And we have this ending of, what are the last three letters? Jar. Yar. Um, if you're a sort of, uh, what's that? that sort of Bob Marley uh, uh, religion. They, they, they talk a lot about Jar. And, uh, but Yah is kind of a nickname, a shortened version of Yahweh. Everyone say Yahweh. So Yahweh is kind of the fuller name of Yah here. And so hallelujah is praise the Lord, as your Bibles have quite re- correctly translated it. Now, in the Old Testament, how many books of the Bible do you think have this phrase, hallelujah? Any idea? Any guesses at all? This is not messy churches there. I'm not going to ridicule you. You know, it's going to be fine. So, there is one book in the Old Testament that has this phrase, hallelujah, and it's the Psalms. Psalms exclusively uses it. 
and it is not used throughout the Psalms. It is used for very specific songs. It seems that this phrase that is banded around all around the world for different uh, reasons, some of them uh, uh, inappropriate, it's a call to praise for the whole community. It's almost a technical term where they say hallelujah and everyone's radar picks up that it's something special, that it's a time for worship, that it's a time for community to come together and it is a time to celebrate God. If you were to trivialise the word, um, because this came to me this morning um, and I kind of made me smile so I wanted to hear him, it's a bit like when you say breakfast time at the Taylor household. And you can say it, and nothing immediately happens. And then you hear crash, bang, upstairs. And then you hear this thump, 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 thump. As the children have heard that it's breakfast time, it's time to wake up, it's time to start the day, and suddenly these sort of echoes and earthquakes reverberate our house, round our house. And sure enough, within 10, 20 seconds, that table is um, quivering under the weight of three children that are hungry and ready to start the day. And I think hallelujah should be something like that for us, where it's a call for us to come together expectantly um, for something that's good for us. It is not a call for eating shredded wheat. It is a call to praise the Lord. It is a call to join together and praise him who's very worthy. Now, this praise you has its roots in Hebrew um, words meaning to shine and boast. And I love this idea that uh, this word is all about radiating a boast about God, saying, he is so good. Do you know my king? He is so grand. He is so generous. He is so merciful. Do you know anything about him? And they use a word at the end that's used for no other God. It's not just a phrase meaning the man upstairs. It's not just a phrase meaning uh, a God that you can use for um, other deities around. Yah is the specific first name of God Almighty. And it was revealed at that time when Moses was outside of sort of the Israel community and God called him back to lead his people in that great exodus. And this name of Yahweh was this name that God gave to Moses that he said, you're going to lead my people out. You are going to lead them out of slavery, out of oppression, and you are going to lead them into liberty and freedom and in their own land that is flowing with milk and honey. And this name became synonymous with this movement of people out of bondage into liberty. And so when they say hallelujah, it is a memory again of what God had done. This was the name that God revealed to him uh, when he saved his people Israel from uh, Egyptian slavery. And as we go through the constituent parts of Hallelujah, I wonder whether we should be a little bit more careful of when we use it. I wonder if it is a... um, 
it is a string of words, whether it is a technical phrase that perhaps we should be a little more reverent about. It's not just a cute phrase that we can utter every time something is nice, but it's this profound call for God's people everywhere to congregate, to come together in this powerful assembly and give God this heartfelt commendation to say, you know what, you are terrific, God. And we, all of us together, are saying how awesome you are. This praise isn't just for anyone or any God, but it's this great king of kings that rescued Israel from slavery and that brought them into abundance and inheritance. Now, some at the back, as Psalm 147 has been read through, might sort of heckle and ask, why? Why is this God so great? Why would you make such a song and dance about this God? And Psalm 147 replies... The writer of Psalm 147, he says these really good, th- these three things, which I really love. So in the Hebrew, it's Tobe, Nawim, and Never. Um, you may have recognized fr- some of those words from this um, series um, that we've been doing up to this point. Um, but you have these three, why should I praise? Why should I come on a Sunday morning and even listen to Tim play his guitar, let alone join in? Why should I be inspired by Rachel and Sam singing praises? And why should I lend my voice to what they're singing? And the psalmist gives us three reasons. He says uh, that it is fitting. When we look at all of God's qualities, it is fitting response to praise him. It is appropriate. When God does something good, it is fitting and appropriate to say, you're awesome, God. That is fantastic. It's a bit like my son's uh, birthday yesterday when he was lavished with gifts. He didn't just disappear into his room, hogging them all and ignoring everyone else. There was that sense of gratitude. That was the sense of thank you for this. This is, wow, this is for me. And it was the kind of inevitable, logical response to the gift. And with God, when we appreciate his beauty, it is logical and right to praise him. To not do so, to not praise God, would be like my son ignoring the the giver and ripping the present from the proffered hands, running upstairs and ignoring everyone else and playing it, playing with whatever toy it was um, on his own. It would be like talking on your phone in a concert. You know, there's that great crescendo, perhaps a moment's silence. Someone goes, hello, yes, it's me, I can't talk now, I'm in a concert. It would utterly wreck things and I don't know if you've watched any of the media but every now and again some pop star or concert pianist gets a little upset when uh, someone uses their phone um, in this uh, piece of uh, uh, musical genius. It would be like visiting the Louvre, I don't know if you've ever been there but there are some expensive paintings there 
and it would be uh, like going in there and taking a scalpel and just uh, cutting through um, uh, whatever paintings you see there. You know, I'm going to make um, sort of the Mona Lisa just uh, regret the day she was ever born and, and, and just ruin something that was beautiful. Not only is praising God with hallelujah fitting, but it is pleasant. And I really like this. Not only is it a right thing to do, but it is a pleasant thing to do. When we recount God's character, we get a benefit from it. When Barbara came up and talked about God that was going to look after her in the winter months, it is pleasant and enjoyable. We all like hearing someone that says, you know what, Um, I can believe in God for this. And when you say it, you get that sense of peace and, yeah, that's right. And that's why so many of the Psalms are full of people talking to themselves because it is good and edifying and helpful. The Holy Spirit, when we make these positive announcements, He animates us and grabs us. And it's something that we can't find anywhere else. When Sam and Rachel and Tim practice on a Friday, when they think about Sunday, um, they can often think, oh, there's going to be all those people sat down. There's going to be a lot of people not singing. There's going to be all the mums at the back trying to sit on their children so they're not causing chaos. Um, and they go, oh, I'm not feeling in tune today, and, oh, I'm feeling a bit rough. And there's all these things and inhibitions to make them come up. You wouldn't believe the amount of excuses that anyone that comes up the front can have in their mind, which is a reason why they should not be up here. Barbara can tell you now, as she did it today. All these things going through her head, all these reasons why she shouldn't do it. And yet, when it is done, it's like, oh, I'm glad I did that. Oh, I I feel a sense of peace, a sense of joy, a a sense of satisfaction. It's something that I should remember. It's a bit like anyone that makes the prayer meeting during midweek. And you you can often have to sort of jump over all sorts of obstacles to get there. And there is that sort of, uh, there's that uh, sense of slowness. But after the prayer meeting, there is that sense of purity, there is that sense of talking with God. There is a sense of, you know, everything is under God's gaze and under his plan. And you know what? All that worry that was festering, all that stress that was festering, it's gone. And I have a sense of peace. And when we praise God, we get peace. If we avoid church, if we avoid worship, if we avoid lending our voices to the community, then we don't get that relief. And finally, our psalmist says, not only is it fitting and appropriate to praise God, not only is it pleasant and enjoyable, but the psalmist says it is good. As we um, lift up God, as we remember his creation, it is good it is we are joining creation in saying how wonderful is God Tim was talking about the rocks crying out 
these inanimate objects that cannot sing. I don't know whether you've noticed, there are not many singing rocks about. And they, they're physically incapable of singing. But creation is so pent up with this desire to worship God that um, when we do so, it is creation going, oh, that is good, that is right, that is the proper response. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One Corinthians chapter twelve, verse one, and it says this Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. That is Paul saying, You need to know this. Paul loves to seem to write long sentences that he could have written much shorter if he tried. Um, I do not want you to be uninformed. I need you to know. This is something important. Your ears need to prick up. Your pens and your notebooks need to be at the ready. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but as the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, uh, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everyone say, each one. one. And everyone say, common good. good. That is our 11 o'clock open mic session in a nutshell. Everyone is supposed to come up and it is for everyone's good. No one who comes on a Sunday morning is somehow excluded from uh, being each one and from common good. And, and, and that is why we make room for that. I wonder if you hear the emphasis Paul puts on the Holy Spirit promoting people saying stuff often we can think the Holy Spirit is kind of warm feeling perhaps like sort of microwave treacle in my heart but Paul says what the Holy Spirit does he causes you to say stuff and you don't say Jesus is cursed when the Holy Spirit comes on you you say Jesus is Lord you say hallelujah the Spirit causes you to say it you don't just say it because you think it's a good idea when we praise God with that hallelujah it is God's spirit in us erupting in praise we are not just going through the motions we are not doing worship by numbers we are not just doing what Tim Rachel and Sam tell us to do but the Holy Spirit in us is the same as in them and it comes forth in delightful utterances When we hallelujah as a community, it is good, pleasant and becoming and it is Holy Spirit inspired.
I have a lot to say still about this um, psalm, but I want to try and condense it down. A verse that seems to me to summarise the whole psalm is uh, verse 4. It begins with this idea that God creates the stars. Now, for the Israelites, the stars were kind of small lights in the sky. You know, they're kind of little pinpricks of light in the night. But we live in the 21st century and we're guessing and we're thinking that we know a lot more about stars. They are not tiny little light bulbs sort of dangled in the sky with kind of 50 watt bulbs in them. They are raging balls of nuclear activity. The sun is a raging ball of nuclear activity that you could not get anywhere near without being utterly uh, uh, burnt up to a crisp. Psalm 147 says... God is Lord over each one. These balls of fire that we could know, we cannot harness under any circumstances. God is Lord of that. The most powerful thing that we can conceive of in creation is these balls of fire and God is Lord over them. And we're like, oh, he's bigger than I thought. You know this little problem that I wasn't too sure whether he was Lord over. If he is Lord over a raging ball of nuclear activity that has been going on for millions of years, he can deal with whatever situation you're struggling with. Am I right? I am right, because it says so. And some of us have experienced it. More than this, there are billions of suns. You know, we can see... Uh, roughly about 5,000 with the naked eye, there are billions of raging balls of nuclear activity in the universe. And God put each one in place and he knows it by name. And he's Lord over them. And suddenly we go, oh, wow. So he's Lord over the balls of flame that I can see and the balls of flame that I can't see. And they're all incredibly impressive. And our sun is actually quite a small one in respect to like some of the others that are out there. And they form galaxies and they form solar systems. And God is Lord over that. Whatever problem you're facing, I want you to hear this morning that God is Lord over these raging balls of nuclear activity and there are billions of them and he is still Lord over them. And suddenly it puts everything into perspective, or it should put everything into perspective. You know, when uh, a, you're having money problems or health problems or relationship problems or something else, if God is Lord over those, you're like, well, I, I think perhaps he can manage this other thing. I'm, I'm wondering whether, you know, God might have it after all. God knows each star by name. Despite the quantities involved, 
And I can't even remember everyone's name that comes here sometime. I was talking to someone as we were coming in. We were like, what's that person's name? We don't know. And there's only, what, a couple of dozen of us here on a Sunday morning. And I can't, but God can remember billions of stars and the names that he gives them. Despite the distances, despite the quantities, despite the dimensions, God is intimately acquainted with each raging inferno. I wonder if you remember that quote I gave from the film Ronin earlier, where uh, John Reno said to De Niro, if I was management, I wouldn't have given you a cigarette. Well, that prejudice that we've all seen in our lives, it's undone before God. He is big, and I don't mean just national or international or global. I'm talking about someone that made and put in place and knows the name of every star out there. He is bigger than you can possibly imagine, and he is more intimately acquainted with his creation than anyone can be. So he is more powerful than the most arrogant, shut-off, impersonal management you have ever come across. And I've come across some pretty impressive people on that front. But is more friendly and more gracious and more kind and has more time for you than the most friendly time-wasting security guard you've ever met or the most bored and up-for-talking cleaner that you've ever come in contact with. God is bigger than any manager and he's more friendly than any security guard. And we should be able to take uh, some sort of solace from that. And I want to go to our last reading, which is Revelation chapter 5, because I think this uh, sums it up nicely. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. So this takes place in kind of the, the halls of heaven. This takes place in the the presence of God. And it says this, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And we had a look at the number seven a little while ago, and this number of completeness and perfection to do with the days of the week, especially. And he went, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Some of you are over-literal, struggling to see how a dead lamb could hold a book. Um, but that's where you've got to let go of that sort of literal Western reading in this revelation. This is something a bit beyond that. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousand. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And when I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, everyone say, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Just as a side note, it's interesting, isn't it, that the whole creation worships God in this scene. That it's not just reserved for the Christians, but everyone comes together. Because it's the only thing you can do when you really see God as he is. When you really take in something of his majesty and his power and his goodness. You can't help but praise him. And so we find in this scene... This, in the throne room of God, we find a slaughtered lamb. And I want you to see that this is really a derisory animal. You know, like a, a young sheep. They're not famed for their intelligence, from their wisdom. They're not famed for their might or anything else. We have here a dead lamb. And it's something to scoff at and laugh at. We were at Tilgate um, Nature Centre yesterday and the baby animals are pretty defenceless. There wasn't much stopping me grabbing one of the baby alpacas, putting it under my arm and running off, apart from perhaps uh, some warden or something. Um, my kids would have loved it, I'm sure. Um, but, but they are kind of the definition of something small and insignificant and without importance and without strength and without anything to be impressive about it. It doesn't have any majesty or authority. And yet, this object of scorn, this thing to look down your nose at, this thing that has nothing to recommend it, is suddenly turned on its head. The lamb alone amongst the entire created order. So everything from, excuse the in-joke, the Nephilim and the giants and the super managers and the um, head of Apple and Google and the nation states, amongst all of these powerful figures and folk, the Lamb is the only one that can open this scroll. The Lamb is the only one that can uh, move this story of revelation forward it's the only one with the power and authority to open this scroll everything else everyone else is inferior and that's quite a switcheroo that's quite a change on how we see the world suddenly the biggest mightiest most muscle-bound power is undone in the presence of of a dead baby lamb. And then, something incredible happens. This lamb that looks like it was slain is suddenly given every honour and every 
praise and every applause. Suddenly, everyone goes wild for this lamb. So, it was quite good. We had some people come up here and give little testimonies and uh, uh, words, and there was some polite applause. You know, it wasn't anything more than that, to be honest. There was a kind of a, a ripple of, that's quite good. But when the lamb is revealed... The whole earth goes absolutely berserk and there's fireworks and there's symbols and there's jumping and it's all because of this lamb. And then, just when you think, okay, lamb's dead, looks pretty rubbish and now it's kind of gone to the head. It's the most important thing in creation. And then, really messing with what you think it's all going to head out, we are told that every single person who is saved is saved by this lamb. This lamb that looked dead. This lamb that then took on the praise of the entire world and the whole created order that suddenly becomes the most important being in all of God's earth. He's the one that extends the invitation to salvation to everyone that's there. He is individually relating to everyone who gets saved. Even as every living thing worships the Lamb, he brings eternal life to we who believe. And it's the same God that put every star in place and knows them by name. That is how salvation works. He is all-powerful and intimately acquainted with each of us. And this is the story of Psalm 147. This morning it is not complicated. Our God is big and he loves you. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we, we come into your presence and, and we just sing hallelujah. We say praise the Lord because we know it is appropriate. We know it is a good thing to do and we know it's enjoyable. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are more powerful than we can possibly conceive and that you are more intimately acquainted with us and involved in our lives than we could possibly imagine. And Lord God, that is a, a fantastic God to serve. And I think we should end this meeting with a hallelujah. Can I have a hallelujah? hallelujah. Very good. Your Hebrew teaching is now complete.